1: The truth is that we are in a climate emergency. We have less than 10 years to make substantial changes to our society and way of life and our economy. I want to
2: stress from the outset that this pandemic is far from over. Those who have never fought for the colours they fly should be careful about criticising those who have. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts.
3: And good afternoon. I'm Caroline Hepker.
2: My well, health secretary Sajid Javid has been defending the prime minister's COVID plan. Boris Johnson announced yesterday the first line of defence: booster jabs for the over 50s. But the government could bring back social distancing, enforced mask wearing, and working from home if cases threaten the NHS once more. There is no risk-free decision, but I think what we've announced is well thought through. It's the act of a responsible government to set out, this is our plan, this is how we're going to protect the gains. But just in case things are not quite as we would want them to, we've got to have another plan and, and, and get that ready too.
3: So Sajid Javid talking about the contingency plans. Well, scientists say that the government must not leave those extra measures too late. The SAGE committee's modelling suggests that hospitalisations may reach two to 7,000 per day next month from around 1,000 now. Dr Mike Tildesley, Professor in Infectious Disease Modelling at the University of Warwick, advises ministers on pandemic modelling.
2: The NHS is regularly put under pressure over the autumn. And the key thing for me is monitoring that trend and comparing it to where, not just where we were last year, but also where we are in a usual non-pandemic year so we can try to put that into context. Well, let's focus in on Northern Ireland now and COVID cases there are running high, around 10,000 per day with infections, the highest among children aged 10 to 14. Uh, according to a report in today's Belfast Telegraph hospitals under a lot of pressure uh, and nine are now over capacity. One A&E patient waited more than six days for a hospital bed. In Antrim. Well, joining us now to talk about this is Chris Hazard uh, Sinn Fein MP for South Down. Thanks so much for joining us today on uh, Bloomberg Westminster. How bad is the situation uh, in the NHS uh, across Northern Ireland?
4: Well, I, I, good morning, and I, I think, like like many people across these islands, I think the message needs to be very clear, and that we need to remain vigilant, as I said at the outset there in your piece. Um, You know, this is the time of year that the NHS comes under most pressure. Um, You know, we've seen for many years now in the north of Ireland um, that our our hospital system is in need of of reform. Uh, We need to see much more investment in at the front line. Um, We had a major uh, study of reform led by a a Basque uh, doctor, um, Bengoa, who suggested a number of structural reforms. Unfortunately, we've been dealing with the effects of Tory austerity at the same time. Uh, it's proved very difficult to move ahead with such reform. So some of that stuff is feeding into the the, over, the, uh, the, the waiting times, for example, now uh, at hospitals in the north. And some of that's feeding into the difficulties and the pressures in dealing with that. I think the, mm. the, the, the geographic realities of of life, too, in the north of Ireland, people travelling um, north and south and, and east-west, of course, to the island of Britain, uh, increases the, the likelihood, obviously, of infection. Um, and the close-knit communities uh, around the border area, for example, has been another challenge to be able to deal with. Um, But I think the message is is the same in the north as it is across the island. This time of year especially, we need to remain very vigilant. People need to follow the health advice. And I think political leaders mustn't take their eye um, off the the, the dangers that may lay lay ahead. We know the system's going to come under pressure, and we need to take proactive action now to steer away from that.
3: Well, what should that proactive action be then when it comes to Northern Ireland? I mean, do you anticipate lockdowns in autumn or in the next few weeks?
4: Well, I think when it comes to lockdown, I think, you know, if, if we're dealing with the situation of lockdowns, I think we've we've already got too far. Um, and we're, we're dealing, unfortunately, with a situation that in, in some regards uh, may be irretrievable at that point. Um, we shouldn't have to get to that point. I think that's what we're about being proactive. So in recent days, um, Sinn Féin successfully... Um, recalled the Assembly in, in the north of Ireland at Stormont to bring the Education Minister to task to ensure that the public health agency were given a much more proactive role um, in carrying out tests at schools. You know, we know, and it's the same in Britain, it's the same in the south of Ireland as well, You know we know that schools are an area now that needs serious focus. You know, we need to see better ventilation. You know, we need to see better track and trace and identifying who's been in contact with positive cases uh, and end isolation and, and, and allowing people to get better. But that takes proactive support with the education system. It takes proactive support with parents uh, and with pupils. And unfortunately, that hasn't been happening. And that that needs to increase dramatically. You know, we need to see that. I think there's also great justification and merit at looking at the passport situation as well. Um, I think there is a general acceptance in the public um, that this is going to be with us for the foreseeable future. Uh, It's important to be vaccinated. It's important to be able to demonstrate that you're vaccinated. Um, And that allows people the confidence to go about their lives. If you start not to do that, well, then you start to look at the the, the need for circuit breakers and everything else, but uh, which then punish you know everybody uh, in society. When in fact, if we take mm. very prescriptive, proactive measures, we can maybe prevent that from happening.
2: How widely would you would you like to see vaccine passports used in in Northern Ireland?
4: Well, it's something I haven't I haven't looked at. It's, it's, it's not part of my own specific um, policy brief, but it's certainly something I you know I I know I, I travelled in the summer. Um, to Spain, uh, I have been in the south of Ireland uh, in recent weeks. It's just part of everyday life, you know. If you go into a restaurant, if you go into a hospitality setting, if you go into some retail settings, you know, if you want to go to a sporting occasion, if you want to go to a concert, you know, this is very much now um, part of life. And people get on with it. People see it's important. They know that it saves lives, uh, and I think we should be more open to that conversation.
3: OK, so you must also be welcoming the extra funding for the NHS, that the national insurance tax increase that passed in the House of Commons yesterday.
4: Well, no, I think it's a very regressive way uh, of doing it. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, certainly when we when we talk about taxes, and if you want to deal with tax, I, I do think, it's again, is the wrong way to go around things. I think the government should follow what it has been doing. Uh, in, in recent months uh, and using the Bank of England to be able to invest. You know, they, they have printed over $450 billion, uh, in recent months. We should be looking at that. However, if you want to talk about tax, uh, I much would have preferred to see them equalise capital gain tax uh, with income tax and not go down this route. I think it's regressive. Um, you know, I think it does exacerbate uh, health inequalities. I, I don't think it's something that we should be doing. Um, the British government have decided to do it. Um, so, we will certainly be making the case now, I think, in, in, in Stormont, uh, that if this money is to be ring-fenced um, – and again, that's a decision for the executive – but if it is to be ring-fenced for health, um, well, then that's something that we need to look at, and we need to tackle some of them structural weaknesses um, that have mentioned at the outset.
2: What's your view on the gridlock over the Northern Ireland Protocol? The UK's Brexit Minister saying that the threats to suspend the protocol by, by the UK need to be taken seriously. Uh, by by the EU. How, how do we get out of this mess?
4: Hmm. Well, I suppose on the one hand uh, I wouldn't agree with your assessment of it being gridlock. Um, you know, I think if you if you look at the overall piece, um, you know, trade in the north with the south of Ireland for example has increased 50% um, since January. The vast amount of our, our businesses uh, are getting on with things, they're reorientating their supply chains, you know, life has not been affected, you know, for example our agriculture and fishing farming industry are been able to easily import and export in, out of Europe. They haven't been affected, unlike their um, counterparts here uh, in Britain who have seen um, serious problems with, with, with export, for example. Um, you know, we haven't had anywhere near the same amount of problems when it comes to supply in our supermarkets, etc. And, and some of our early issues had much more to do with COVID um, and had much more to do with supply chain problems in Britain than they had to do with the protocol. Now, that's not to take away from the fact that You know, some are trying, obviously, um, to to get away from the protocol, to scrap the deals and the agreements that were made. Um, The DUP are taking a hammer in public opinion polls over recent months. They have seen their support drop from over 30% to 13% in the latest uh, opinion poll. Um, And I think as far as the the Tory Prime Minister and the British government are concerned, I think this is an issue that they are manipulating um, for their own grassroots. I think Boris Johnson, likes to be able to have a uh, a spot with Europe still. Uh, I think the protocol gives him that opportunity. And I think he'll drop it as soon as it becomes expedient um, to do so, uh, which again, you know, it, it isn't right. It, it, again, the DUP need to be very careful here what they're doing. The protocol itself maintains yeah. the mechanisms to be able to, to deal with mm-hmm. some of the problems. So we know there's, go- there, we know there's been problems identified. Um, around a number of issues, such as medicines and such as um, other issues. The European Union, the Irish government, um, they've all said these are dealt with in negotiations and talking at the joint committee. Um, It's not through um, shouting in the airwaves and leading people onto the street and raising temperatures. That's not going to solve anything.
3: Okay, the uh, European Vice President Mara Sefcovic saying that the renegotiation of the protocol would lead to more instability. Um, I mean, the issue also is that the DUP and unionists are concerned about exactly what you've talked about, the reorientation, you know, towards Ireland. Um, I mean, how, how are... The two sides are going to find a way forwards in in all of this. I mean, the EU trying yeah. to leave some space for negotiation is what they're mm. saying.
4: Yeah, well, again, you know, when everybody has said that the protocol was a very um, crude mechanism to be able to deal with the problem of Brexit, and the problem has been Brexit. You know, we made it clear from the start that Brexit was going to be a huge challenge, um, not just politically but socially and economically, and so, so that has proven. Um, But again, at the same time, you know, trade reorientates through history. You know, we've seen that not just in recent years, but across decades and, and even longer. Trade reorientates given the political and economic situation that we find ourselves in. So we find ourselves now in a situation where, for example, it's easier for a business in the north of Ireland to now um, source material or source product from the south of Ireland than maybe say it is from Scotland, England or Wales. Um, they're able to do that much quicker. They're able to do that cheaper. Um, so, so why wouldn't they They, they do that? that, that is simple. That's a matter of fact now and that's increasingly going to happen. You know, we've seen, for example, and I was speaking to Welsh um, counterparts here yesterday uh, at Westminster, you know, we've seen an increase now in direct movement of goods between France Uh, and the island of Ireland and not using the land bridge that usually would have taken them through Wales, for example, and on through um, to Dover and across.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state
2: Let's take a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. Health Secretary Sajid Javid has rebuffed criticism of colleagues pictured at a cabinet meeting without face masks. He's also defended the large number of Conservative MPs pictured without face coverings in the House of Commons. Javid told Sky News that when they're in Westminster, quote, they are not strangers.
3: Meanwhile, when it comes to the UK inflation figures that we had out this morning, inflation surged more than expected to the strongest pace in more than nine years last month. Consumer prices jumped 3.2% in August, the most since 2012, adding to pressure on the Bank of England to rein in its economic stimulus. Economists had expected a reading of 2.9%. Prices at restaurants, apparently one of the key increases.
2: The NSPCC says the government's online safety bill in its current form doesn't tackle the scale and extent of abuse effectively. The children's charity says that cases of online child sex abuse are up 78% in just four years. It wants the government to toughen regulation of social media firms in its online safety bill.
3: Well, those are some of the news, uh, uh, political news stories this morning. But of course, the health secretary says that pressure on the NHS is the main factor that would lead to tighter COVID restrictions in England. Sajid Javid told the BBC that there was not a single trigger for the government moving to its Plan B measures, but the NHS becoming overwhelmed was a key issue to watch. Some government scientists have warned of a large jump in COVID hospital admissions if restrictions are are not tightened sooner joining us now is our bloomberg opinion editor therese rafael hi therese so look this is the big debate now isn't it after um boris johnson brought out the plan a and plan b for what was going to happen in the autumn and winter is it's the government um it's clear that the government doesn't really want to bring further restrictions in this autumn but are they really preparing to do it
1: I think the government's trying to find this balance between saying they are prepared for the eventuality of not just increased infections, but really how that feeds through to hospitalizations. Uh, at the same time, as you say, they don't want to bring in these restrictions. They sense the public mood. People are back at work. Uh, hospitality is, is, uh, 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 is up. Um, and they've also looked at what's happened in Scotland, where there was a spike in infections when schools went back. I think there was a highest infection rate almost anywhere. And yet hospitalization still stayed low. And that's given them a lot of confidence. They've decided to roll. Out uh, boosters for the over fifties and other groups, and also now for younger uh, people. So I think uh, Boris Johnson doesn't want to have to reimpose restrictions. Clearly, we can see from uh, the the level of mask wearing in Parliament and where Tory MPs are. It's in, you know, any level of restrictions is so unpopular in his own party now. So that's playing in. At the same time, you know, he's getting uh, a certain amount of pressure. I think from his scientific advisors to be prepared for what might come this winter, particularly if we have a hard flu season. So that's why we have the plan A and the plan B. Uh, That's why we also have the postponement of vaccine passports, another uh, measure that was extremely unpopular in his party. And, you know, he... From that perspective, he's both covered his political basis, but also can still say that he's following the science here uh, and not and not, you know, jumping the gun and unnecessarily reimposing restrictions that would have a a hit on the economy at a time when there's already inflation, uh, furlough is ending and there are other economic pressures.
2: Where are we at with the, uh, the the politics the party politics of this last week uh, there, there was uh, we talked about the the tax plan and the NHS spending as, as, as going rather well it seemed that it had gone down quite well with the public. We've had four polls now and it does look like there is a, a trend of, of loss of support for for the Conservatives.
1: Yeah, I think uh, it it looked to be quite a smooth passage, and indeed the parliamentary numbers were very good for Boris Johnson. But then we saw, you know, several things happen. First, there was there was not a lot of debate in Parliament, and this is a trend for this government. They don't like to let Parliament have a lot of time to deliberate. Uh, we also saw uh, estimates coming out of HMRC that this would be a, a pretty big hit to people's uh, pocketbooks, and so there was. I think more of a backlash within his party, even though it didn't show up on the vote, there was lots of grumbling. Uh, the public is now sort of cottoning on to the fact that tax hikes are are going to hurt. And, you know, so it's unsurprising that we're getting, uh, you know, more fervent rumors of a reshuffle now, because, uh, you know, th- this is a time when you could expect Boris Johnson to want to change the to change the subject and also, uh, you know, be seen to be resetting his government uh, as, you know, those opinion polls are not looking so much in his favour as they were, you know, even a couple of months ago.
3: But surely a reshuffle, uh, which, as you say, is sort of rumoured potentially for later today. Uh, I mean, isn't Boris Johnson's name actually firmly stamped on, on the tax policy? I know that he tried to bring Rishi Sunak and the Chancellor in there, you know, to give his backing. But how much is the Prime Minister, Prime Minister sort of tied to tax tax increases. And then if we do get a reshuffle, I mean, who would that involve? So at the end of the day, the prime minister is a person who makes these
1: decisions and You know, absolutely. He will forever be known now as the prime minister, a Tory prime minister who not only presided over one of the biggest increases in public spending, but a a massive tax hike. It will be very hard for him to go into the next election claiming to be, you know, the heirs to Margaret Thatcher to a traditional conservative platform. I think that's gone. And that's a risk Johnson decided to take because his manifesto promised to increase public services, increased public spending. It also promised to keep taxes down, which it hasn't. As for the reshuffle, you know, it's interesting that I think he was planning a reshuffle back in June, but then he had to self-isolate. It couldn't be done before the summer. So in some ways, this has been carried over. There was threats of a reshuffle before the social levy. The new tax was put in place. you know, he was accused of weaponizing the threat in order to get his uh, MPs on board. So, you know, how many times can you talk about a reshuffle and not actually do it without it losing credibility? So I think, you know, that, that's why I'm, I, I'd be very surprised if we don't see one. I mean, there are reasons traditionally. Government wants to reshuffle. It's it's part of party management. It also um, is a way of rewarding those um, those in the party who've been very supportive, and maybe punishing those who mm-hmm. have fallen behind a little bit. Uh, who might we see? Mm. I think you know we should keep an eye on Michael Gove and Liz Truss. Um, You know, Dominic Robb will be very interesting to see whether Johnson decides to move him from the foreign office. It's, uh, you know, he got a lot of flack over not uh, coming back, uh, you know, Immediately from ho- his holiday, enough, yeah, exactly. Uh, so, yeah, that will always be useful to watch. I think I saw a figure that since 1979, the average number of ministers in a reshuffle is about 4.5. So we can mm. benchmark that against. Oh, uh, I <laughs> love that. That is such a Bloomberg political uh,
3: analysis. I, that's excellent. Size Four point five. Who's the point five <laughs> minister?
2: Now, Gavin Williamson. We haven't mentioned him. Perhaps he's uh, in in the frame for.
1: I I think he'd probably be top of my list to have (laughs) to move. I mean, only if Johnson wanted to, you know, make a statement about not being bounced into things, but he's been such an unpopular Mm. education secretary. And, you know, for good reasons, he's gotten lots of things wrong.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, yeah, but but one can imagine maybe sort of trying to turn over a new leaf is sort of uh, interesting. I mean, not quite so easy as, as the difficulties of COVID potentially return. But look, the other thing that has been, flagged by some um, some of the team at, at Bloomberg, quite interesting that energy prices actually are the kind of outlier in terms of public perception, worried about COVID, thinking about their jobs and so on, and children in school. But but energy prices, which are an absolute hot potato in the UK, could actually become a much bigger issue in, in autumn and winter. They absolutely will. I mean, off
1: gem sets which is the the British Energy Regulator sets the price cap and this mm. is a cap that was imposed in 2019 under Theresa May. It was actually a labor idea originally, but the Tories uh, the Tories took it on. And it imposes that cap, sets the cap rate twice a year. So it did so, uh, I believe, at the end of August. It set a cap that goes into place in October. It raised the cap. That means that uh, suppliers of energy to consumers are going to raise their prices. Almost all of them will, also because wholesale prices have just gone through the roof for lots of reasons, uh, including uh, low levels of gas storage in the UK, uh, low wind out, uh, power this uh, over the summer weather um, patterns that have been odd, huge demand from Asia, Russia not sending gas through. So it's almost been a perfect storm in terms of what's been happening on the wholesale markets that will feed through to the consumer. And yes, it's highly political because what's happening is that energy suppliers are being squeezed. They are now have to offer uh, power to consumers at, uh, at 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 below the rate that it costs them to to get that power in the wholesale market. So we saw two suppliers going under this week, two suppliers last week. We now today have a, a fire that's going to uh, reduce some of the capacity to get power electricity from France. So that's going to increase pressure more. So we will see more suppliers go under. There will be pressure on Offgem to recalculate. The cap or at least revisit some of that. And there's a whole host of other regulations that are hurting suppliers as well. Uh, But the government is going to have its eye on consumers because they're the ones that are going to be paying more and they're not going to understand potentially just all of the factors that go into this. So, you know, I expect that to just increase the pressures on the government, on the sector this winter, and um, it will be a big part of the debate.
2: Uh, just briefly, of course, it was the petrol crisis uh, some some years ago, which was the only time which uh, the Blair government became very, very unpopular very quickly. Has this got the same kind of saliency?
1: That's interesting. Whether you know it could um, have so much of an effect that it could you know put pressure on Boris Johnson's government. I think we have to see what happens on other inflation. Uh, uh, figures. We have to see what happens with the economy generally, because Mm -hmm. we'll have a budget coming very shortly. Uh, Now the pressure is on Rishi Sunak to find a way to uh, control spending. So if we see other spending cuts, as well as price rises, then sure, we have the potential of of, of this to blow up.
2: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.